Okay, we have two readings tonight. Uh, the first one's from Philippians chapter 2, uh, verses 1 to 11. It's on 1179 of the Church Bibles. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Look not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, (coughs) did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And the second reading is from Acts chapter 2. Um, verses 1 to 13, and that's on page 1093. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in, the, in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, there, was, there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard the sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each, of, each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, Aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and all parts of Libya, near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converted to Judaism, Cretans, and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Charlie. I gave you a quite difficult reading today, but you did incredibly well. So thank you. Just move this further away so we don't blast anyone. Uh, Let's pray as we have a look at these two amazing passages. So, Father, thank you so much for this evening. And we pray, Lord, that you would send down your Holy Spirit in us on power as we 
focus in on Pentecost. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Great. So a couple of weeks ago, we were uh, looking at uh, John's gospel. We were in John chapter 14, and we got to verse 12, and we were slightly perplexed. Because in verse 12, Jesus says these incredible words. He says this. He says, Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. And by works, he's meaning the miracles. And they'll do even greater things. And it's got not greater quantity, it's greater quality in the Greek. Greater things than Jesus. Because I'm going to the Father. And this sounds absolutely shocking, except that as we read through the Gospels, and then following the Gospels, we read into Acts, we find that the miracles of the Gospels, in fact, are matched in Acts. Uh, Luke, the writer of Acts, does this, so almost exactly from Luke into Acts. So where uh, Jesus heals people, we find very quickly his disciples are healing people, uh, Philip and John, at the gate called Beautiful raise a crippled man to his feet. Where Jesus has been driving out demons, we find in Acts, uh, Paul and the others are doing exactly that. And it even comes to raising the dead to life, which happens in the Gospels and then happens in Acts. You know the fantastic story. I love this as a preacher. You know, the story of, of Paul preaching and it's late at night and he's just going on and on and on. And there's a young man who falls out of the window and falls to his death on the ground below. And uh, Paul hotfoots it down the stairs and lies on him and prays for him. And this young guy comes back to life again, raised from the dead. We see people being raised from the dead. And so we say, okay, there's this continuation from Jesus' ministry to the ministry of his followers after Uh, He ascends to heaven after Pentecost. But should we expect that in our lives as well? And we look around at what we're doing and the healings uh, that we see around us, and we say "There's, there's a discrepancy. How can we account for this discrepancy? And one reason we give is maybe there's this apostolic age, this time where the Holy Spirit was poured out on his people, and that was for uh, the, the, the forming of the canon of scripture potentially and then after that the Holy Spirit left the people to do their own thing um, by themselves but the problem is that doesn't work scripturally and it doesn't work experientially it doesn't work scripturally because Jesus carries on in John 14 a few verses down uh, verse 15 16 to say I will ask the Father And he will give you another advocate, that's the Holy Spirit, to help you and be with you forever. Not just until the canon of scripture is finished, but forever. And it doesn't work experientially because we see the Holy Spirit at work still healing people. A couple of weeks ago, uh, Will and Rob prayed for my knee as I was on the Camino. And there's definitely a partial healing, a healing Uh, enough for me to be able to walk 26 kilometers at a fast pace the next day. And I'll call that healing. And definitely attribute it to the Holy Spirit working through those two men. So we do see the Holy Spirit at work now. 
And we hear of him at work in other places around the world. Uh, we hear him at work in other churches. But what about here? What about us? And if we don't see as much of the Holy Spirit at work here as we do in the Gospels and Acts, I think we need to conclude that there must be more of our infinite God for us to step into than we're currently stepping into at the moment. There must be more of our infinite God for us to step into than we're currently in at the moment. And so I want to put to you this evening, from these two passages, and it's very helpful to have your your finger in Philippians 2 and Acts 2, I want to put to you that a church, number one, united, number two, in Christ, number three, following his commands, that's scripture, number four, provides space for the Holy Spirit to move in power, number five. So let's start with the church. Uh, in Philippians chapter 2, verse 1, Paul says this, Therefore, if you, the Philippian church, have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, etc. He's speaking to the church who are with Christ. Paul's speaking to the insider, not the outsider. He's speaking, if you like, to you and me, who are part of the church universal and part of St. Michael's Church. This is for us. The same is true of the command that Jesus gave his disciples in Acts chapter 1, verse 4, before um, Pentecost, before the ascension, in fact. He said, stay in Jerusalem until you're clothed with power from on high. He is speaking to those inside He is speaking to his disciples, speaking to the church. So we've got a church. Secondly, united. Philippians chapter 2, verse 2, he continues to say, Then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Now, one thing that I've realized recently, and is partly from being part of the Alpha course and having our fantastic uh, Alpha Day away recently, is that the Holy Spirit is, is very sure about how he works with people and groups of people in a church, and not just individuals. You remember Jesus saying, if two or three are gathered in my name, there I am. You'll remember that when Jesus went to heal Jairus' daughter, he brought along his inner circle of faith, of Peter, James, and John. In fact, when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, he brought those three with him as well. And also, there are times when the opposite happens, where unbelief stops Jesus being able to perform miracles when in his, in his hometown. So the, the people are, are important. So in this last Alpha Day away, we're at our house just down the road here on the square. And instead of having a focus on praying for individuals to be filled with the Holy Spirit, we prayed for all of us as a group to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And it was amazing to see what happened. One of the ladies was here this morning sitting just behind the sound desk. There was a, there was a drunkenness 
um, that we felt in the spirit. The spirit felt tangible around us. I, I literally, um, Donald was there. Uh, you, you spoke of the ta- tangibleness of the spirit. I literally wanted to grab of the spirit and, 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 and eat of the spirit. It, it is that, it is that tangible an experience we felt as you fell on all of us as a group. We see that as well uh, when Jesus tells his disciples um, to, to stay in Jerusalem. And the result is from Acts chapter 2, verse 1, that when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together, all together in one place. And I do believe if those disciples hadn't obeyed Jesus' command, if they had scattered all over the place, Pentecost wouldn't have happened the way it was recorded to have happened. Maybe the Holy Spirit would have waited until God's people had come together. Maybe there would have been fewer of them together and there would have been a smaller impact. Maybe fewer than 3,000 would have been added to the number those who were saved on that particular day. The Holy Spirit uh, works in groups of people. And, and we know that, our, that, uh, that a group can have a certain dynamic as well. There's a, there's a dynamic in a workplace of the people. There's a dynamic in a football stadium where all the Chelsea supporters are coming together to support their team. There's a dynamic when people of the workplace go out for a, a pint on a Friday night. There's a dynamic in a PCC meeting and there's a dynamic in a church. There's a corporate identity in a church. There's a power in a togetherness of faith in a church that we often forget about in our individualistic age. A power in a togetherness of faith that we often forget about in our individualistic age. But it isn't enough to just be united. A group of people united in a fast-flowing river are still going to be taken by the river. They might be clinging together, but they can still go over that waterfall that's coming up and fall to their deaths. It's not enough to be united. You have to be united in a river on a rock. And so that's what comes up next. We're a church who united in Christ, not just holding together in the flow of the river, but holding on to the rock. And as we all hold on to the rock, as we all hold on to Christ, we're united as a church. Uh, when MJ and I were getting together, in fact, before we met, I went to a, a man who I knew well. He led a house church that I used to go to sometime. He's called Louis. And I said to him, Louis, I want to know from the Lord whether he is in this relationship, whether he uh, wants MJ and I together. And Louis said to me, Guy, it's a bit like a triangle with Jesus at the top and the two of you at bottom corners. And as the two of you climb up the sides of the triangle closer to Jesus, he will draw the two of you closer together. And he'll turn what you do together, the ministry you do together, into a lighthouse. Now, a triangle works for two people, but I think we need to go 3D when we get into a church. And we end up with something that looks like a cone, uh, with all of us at the bottom in the church. 
And as we as a church, individuals, climb up the side of the cone, climb closer to God, he makes us a light that shines bright for him. So we're to be united with Christ. Paul tells us, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united, not just united, but united with Christ. Again, in verse 5, he says, in your relationships with one another, have the mindset, same mindset, as Christ Jesus. And then he goes into this incredible poem that describes Jesus' humility, how he came down to earth. But it's not just about Jesus. That is meant to encourage us to imitate Christ in serving one another, in our unity together. Uh, this sermon was called Christ at the Centre. I, I didn't change the title when we thought we'd look at Pentecost because Christ has to be at the centre of what we do here in the church. That is correct. But you might be saying, if Christ is at the centre, maybe the, the Father is missing out. Maybe the Holy Spirit is missing out. But they aren't. Because there's a perfect togetherness, a perfect unity in the Trinity. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit has breathed out the Word of God through mortal human beings. What we have in Scripture is of perfect accord with the Trinity. Breathed through the Holy Spirit and agreed by the Father and the Son. The Father and the Son do not miss out. Christ at the centre is also correct because all of redemptive history, our salvation, points towards Christ, his first coming and his second coming. All of the Old Testament prophets, all the sacrificial system, pointed forwards to what Jesus was going to do for us on the cross to reconcile us with his Father. The New Testament writers all look back to what Jesus did on the cross, that reconciliation, and forward to what's going to happen at his second coming. It is right to have Christ at the centre. But a couple of weeks ago, we had a fantastic time of teaching for our um, prayer intercessors. Uh, and we asked to prayerfully imagine Jesus with us. And I closed my eyes and I spent some time imagining where Jesus was. This question was, where is he? And in my mind's eye, I saw Jesus on the cross. And I thought, that's right. All of redemptive history points to Christ on the cross. But it's wrong as well, because Jesus did not stay on that cross. On that cross, he defeated sin and death. And he rose again on Easter Sunday. He came back. He appeared to his disciples. And then he went to the Father so that he could pour out his Holy Spirit on his church at Pentecost. And St. Michael's Church, we live in an age which is post the cross. We live in an age which is post the resurrection. And we live in an age which is post-Pentecost. 
It's incredible. So we've got a church united in Christ and then following his commands. I've already said uh, from Acts chapter 1 verse 4 that the risen Christ commanded his disciples to stay in Jerusalem until they had received the gift of the Holy Spirit that had been promised to them. That was a command that Jesus' disciples had to keep. Jesus Uh, The risen Christ gave them other commands. Matthew 28, he tells them to to go out into all the world and make disciples. He tells them to baptize the disciples who are made for him. And he tells them to obey, teach them to obey all the commands that he has given them. And these commands include some that we're very familiar with, but some that we're less familiar with. And the Holy Spirit carried on to speak through the Bible writers of the New Testament. So Paul uh, gives us this command. Uh, He tells us um, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18 and 19, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. We're thinking, tick. But he carries on. He says, instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your hearts to the Lord. How are we doing in obeying this command, brothers and sisters? Be filled. And the Greek is the present continuous. Be continuously filled by the Spirit. Or he says to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 14.1, Follow the way of love. We're thinking, tick. But then he carries on. And eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. Are we as a church, are you as an individual, eagerly desiring the gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy? This is commanded. We're to follow his commands. And Paul uh, previously in, in chapter 12 had spoken of these gifts of the Spirit. He says, to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. So the gifts of the Spirit aren't given just for the individuals, but they're given for the individuals to encourage everyone else in the body. To one, there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom, To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between Spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And still to another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit. And he distributes them to each one, just as he determines. And that's for the building up of the body. Are we walking in this? Are we walking in the commands that we've been given? Are we walking in the fullness of the Holy Spirit that's on offer to us as we draw nearer to our infinite God? Let us be shaped by the word of God. Let us be shaped by his commands. 
where we see we aren't walking in this yet, where we see maybe we've got a toe into the water, let's get a foot in, let's get a leg in, let's get our whole body into the water, let's discover more of this infinite God that is on offer to us. So we've got a church united in Christ following his commands, provide space for the Holy Spirit to move in power. From what I've said, you might say to me, Guy, this sounds a bit like a cake recipe. Um, Is the Holy Spirit definitely going to move in power if we follow these steps? And the answer you know it is, is no. Not necessarily, but we need to provide space for him to do it. The Holy Spirit is God, and he will do what he wants. Jesus tells us in John chapter 3, The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its voice, sorry, you hear its sound but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. We can provide space for the Holy Spirit to work, but it's up to him what he wants to do in us. And what he might do is something a bit like Pentecost. What would Pentecost look like on Chester Square? I'm not sure of the answer to that. But I'll tell you from Acts what it looked like in Jerusalem where those disciples had gathered and many others for the festival of weeks. Uh, from verse 2 in chapter 2, there's suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind that came from heaven and filled the whole house where they're sitting. There were tongues of fire that came to rest on them. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them to. And these other tongues that they're speaking, they were foreign languages. The languages of those who had gathered in Jerusalem for the festival of weeks. And the words that they were saying in these foreign languages, verse 11 tells us, was declaring the wonders of God in these foreign languages. And this people who were in mourning and had locked themselves into an upper room, burst out into the streets and shared of Jesus and what he had done. Incredible power followed that. But we're told in verse 13, some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. There will always be some, and I think there will always be an element of this in our own hearts, who make excuses. And the excuse in this passage is absolutely ridiculous. These disciples are speaking in foreign languages that they do not know. And the conclusion that some come to is that they've had too much wine to drink. Well, if drinking wine allows me to speak in a foreign language and speak the wonders of God in a foreign language, you know, give me some of that wine. But it wasn't wine. It is the Holy Spirit poured down on them. And there's another way to miss out on the Holy Spirit, other than making excuses. Just imagine the numpty, the bloke who said, look, I've got a good reason for not staying in Jerusalem right now. Maybe he had just bought a field. Maybe he had just got married. He had a legitimate excuse. But he wasn't there in the festival of weeks. He wasn't there at Pentecost. He wasn't there when the Holy Spirit came down in power. And he came back into that church 
where 3,000 had been added to the number. And he had missed it. He had missed one of the most incredible days in the history of our planet because he hadn't followed the commands of God. Just imagine being that numpty. I want to put it to you that there's a way of missing Pentecost now as well. And it's where we don't walk out into the more that God has for us by his Holy Spirit. Being serious about those commands and desiring the gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy, as Paul says. Let's not be a people who miss out on Pentecost, who miss out on the Holy Spirit. Let's be a church who united in Christ, who follow his commands. Let's follow scripture and provide space for the Holy Spirit to move in power. Churches and Michaels, are we up for this? Are we up for this? Are you up for this? Yes, says one. Are you up for this? Let's be a people. Yes, come on. Let's do this. We're going to have a time now of praying for the Holy Spirit to fall. And sometimes when we pray for the Holy Spirit to fall, we don't feel anything happening. That's okay. We know uh, that God loves to give the gift of the Holy Spirit to those who ask, whether we feel anything or not. Sometimes there's more. Sometimes there's a sound like the blowing of a violent wind. Sometimes there's heat. Sometimes there's crying. Sometimes there's laughing. Sometimes there's a gift of tongues. But we don't have to be afraid of any of it. The Holy Spirit is God and he loves us. And he wants the best for us. Also, you, you might feel like other people receive of the Holy Spirit and you're not sure that you ever have. Um, don't worry about that either. The Holy Spirit is given for the building up of the whole. So if others receive the, a gift from the Holy Spirit, then you are blessed by the gift that they've been given to share with the whole. It's not about us as individuals. It's about us as a church. You might have also asked, where did the confession go in the service, Guy? Uh, we're going to have a time now of confessing as well, because we don't want to stand anything to stand in the way of us and God. So we'll have a time of me slowly reading through Psalm 51 little bits and I encourage you to confess where there's stuff um, that you've put up uh, between you and God. And as we pray, uh, the band's going to lead us slowly and then we'll go into a time of worship later. I also want to share uh, two words that I feel the Lord has um, for the church at this time.